Welcome to Elan Restoration Fellowship, where Jesus is King, Hamelech, Lord, Hashem, and Messiah, Mashiach. And now, Pastor and Rabbi, Billy Elias. We're going to kind of do something a little bit different. And this is more or less like a classroom type message I'm going to do over the next couple of weeks. But I know there's a lot of people that appreciate um, the history behind certain topics, certain uh, certain topics, subjects, those kinds of things about King James. I want to talk about King James, his Bible, and theology today. Now, those who've tuned in to the podcast have heard three episodes that um, my daughter Caroline and I did on this particular subject. Caroline, my daughter, is really kind of becoming an expert in King Henry VIII and especially the wives of King Henry, one wife in particular, Anne Boleyn, and her children, and how things progressed to this great king that we know as King James. And it's important for us to understand that the interpretation that King James had a big influence over, I've often talked about it. And I know that, you know, when I first was saved, I, 1993, the biggest thing that was happening was the new, a lot of different translations were finding a hold within the Christian church. A lot of pastors were going away from the King James Version and the New King James Version, and there was a lot of debate. There's been a lot of correction that was done to the King James Bible. Misinterpretation of Hebraic words because of the way they they they, tra- they translated. There's an anti, anti-Semitic mindset that King James had. There's a misogynistic mindset um, that King James had and um you know there is a lot of things that were happening that when it came time to form his version of the bible that there were a lot of contributing factors that people don't understand why was king james an anti-semite why was he a misogynist why was king james what we would say, a sodomite. And why was he anti-Catholic? Why was he so, why was he so willing to depart from things? And when it came time to have his Bible, which would eventually become the King James Bible, why did he take the stance on these that he did? So, One of the things that I think is important for us to understand as we go and we start talking about King James, I wanted to start with a very basic scripture. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, and it says the following, that which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. In other words, what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes is there's nothing new. What's happened before is going to happen again. What was before will be again. Because this is one of the things that, and and what, what Solomon was saying is, 
We need to learn from history. We need to learn from those that come before us. One of the things about Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 6, is it says that he, Jeremiah writes, I want to stand by and see the ways and ask for the, the path, the ancient path. And obviously what he's referring to when he asks for the ancient path is the, the, the Torah. What does Torah have to say about this? And what does Torah have to say about that? And in this particular case, we're talking about a man that is king of England. There are a lot of things that happened in his upbringing to result in what we would now know as the King James Version of the Bible. So I just want to read something that was written in, 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 from 1603. Now, in the millenary petition of 1603, the Puritan representatives demanded certain things from the Church of England. They demanded the removal of wedding rings. They demanded the priesthood by name be removed. And they wanted to remove the act of resolution by Catholic priests. As a result, King James formed the Hampton Court Council of, eight, of 1604. And a new translation and compilation of approved books of the Bible were commissioned to resolve discrepancies among different translations then being used. And as a result, the authorized King James Version, as it became known, was completed in 1611. So I want with, with Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 in your mind, the story here of the King James Version of the Bible does not begin with King James. It starts much earlier than that. So who is King James? Well, King James is known as King James VI of Scotland. He is also King James I of England. He is the son of Mary Stuart, most commonly known as Mary Queen of Scots, and Henry Stuart, who was um, Lord Darnley. Now, what's interesting about King James, and this is so important, he is the great-grandson of Henry VIII. And that's where it all begins. Now, I'm going to recall you to... The book of Jacob, right? That's what I'm calling it now. It's really been, believe it or not, there are multiple versions that have removed James, the book of James, from the title and have replaced it with its original name, which is the book of Jacob. So we're going to go to Jacob chapter 3, verse 14 and 16. And I want you to go with me because we are now about to go on a little historic journey with this guy called Henry VIII. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. I want you to listen again to this. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. Well, the first thing we have to talk about is this man, Henry VIII, infidelity and the male heir. Now, those of you who do understand a little bit about uh, the um, nobles and the nobility, you knew that a male heir or a claimed heir was always going to be the one to take the throne in the event the king would die. 
So what we have is Henry VIII is married to Catherine of Aragon. Now, she is from Spain. It's a region in Spain. Very Catholic. This is extremely important. She is very Catholic. He is on the fence, really doesn't care about religion at all. But the issue was he wanted male heirs. She couldn't produce those male heirs. One of the issues that began to happen is that Henry, seeking a male heir, strayed from the bed. Henry petitioned Pope Clement, Pope Clement VII for a divorce because he needed that male heir. He wanted to divorce Catherine of Aragon because she, anytime she bore him a son, the child was either stillborn or died within a week. Um, so we're going to eventually, you're going, I'm going to, we're going to go over how many children Henry had with how many different wives and mistresses that died and only the few that lived. He goes to Pope Clement and says, I need a male heir and she's not giving me one. So I need this marriage annulled because she's not doing what she had promised. The King of Spain promised me heirs. I'm not getting them from Catherine. He had at this time fallen in love with one of her ladies-in-waiting, which was Anne Boleyn. And so he began a courtship with her, regardless of the fact that he was still married um, by Catherine. Now, one of the things that happened was the, the papal dispensation was denied. Pope Clement said absolutely not, because understand what was happening at the time. England was a powerful nation, but they were not even remotely as powerful as Spain, who was was 100% Catholic. France, the, the throne at the time, the nobility in France was Catholic. Catholicism had a hold over Europe. But now you have Henry, who really could care less about the Catholic Church, really could care less about religion, and what? He wants selfish ambition. That's all he cares about. He wants a selfish ambition. He wants to have a male heir. Catherine of Aragon couldn't do it. He wants to, to maintain his bloodline, make sure that his bloodline is going to be intact. Henry now begins what is known as the English Reformation, which results in England renouncing Catholicism and the papacy and founding the Church of England. You could imagine what that must have been like. So here's Henry that now says, Pope Clement, we are no longer Catholic. We are going to become Protestant. We're, going, we're protesting what you're doing in Rome and we are going to be reformed so we're going to set up our own church. I'm going to elect my own bishops. But he does something else. He says from here on out, whoever the king of England or the queen of England might be, they themselves are going to be the head of the church of England. So now, as Protestantism has become the official religion of England, all because... Pope Clement wouldn't grant a divorce. Now, through the bishops that were, were ordained by um, Henry VIII, 
he had his marriage to Catherine of Aragon annulled. This had a massive impact because you have to understand at the time, England and France were always at war. France was primarily a Catholic nation. However, Protestantism now began to seep into the French nobility. Many French nobles agreed with Henry and saying that we don't want the papacy to be in charge of us either. We want to go away from Catholicism. We want to break away. This began to change the political shift and the power in Europe. Because what Henry did not only now affected all of England, but it began to affect France, which caused another issue. Because the queen at this time is a woman named Catherine de' Medici. She was Italian. The de' Medici family was the richest, most powerful family, not only in, not only in Italy, but they were the bankers of the Vatican. They were the bankers for the Pope. They were the bankers for Catholicism. The Medici clan had the power to create armies. They had the power of politics. They had the power to say who can be the next Pope and who can't. So if you were a Pope, you needed to get the De Medici family or the Medici family on your side. But here now is this queen of France now they're being affected by the English Reformation, and now French nobles are saying, we want to become Protestant. We want now the king and queen of France to recognize that we don't have to be Catholic. <clears throat> so what Henry basically just did, in a nutshell, was he started a war. He started a war and said he was the head of the church. And you go back and you think about what Satan did. And how Satan said, I'm going to be better than you, God, so I'm going to overthrow you. Because jealousy comes in, ambition comes in, pride and ego come in. It's the same exact thing that happens here with Henry. So, you know, when we're told in, in James or the book of Jacob that if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, not to be arrogant... Because what? Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. So what you start to see on the surface may seem to even to us today, well, that's good that he broke away from the Catholic Church. And it's good that he, 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 he formed the Protestant Church and the, and, and the English Re Reformation, the Protestants and, and all of these things. That's all good on the surface. But behind that, what it did was it cast everything disorder and evil. And the thing is, when he made the decision, understand this wasn't made as a decision of worship. It wasn't made as a decision to choose God in his fullness and righteousness through Jesus the Messiah. No, it was made because the man wanted a male heir. So his decree that went unmet by the Vatican caused massive issue. Now, there's something else that we have to understand about King Henry. He marries Anne Boleyn. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. We're going to talk about Henry and the women. Henry hated women. He was a misogynist. He, don't get me wrong, he was a womanizer beyond what you could imagine. Henry was a very violent man. 
he had no problem with lopping someone's head off. He took the head of two of his wives, which is what, you know, what, what he was so famous for. But he hated women and he hated Catherine of Aragon because of two things. One, she couldn't produce a male heir. And the second thing we're going to talk about in a minute. But I want you to, to listen to the book of Galatians. Paul writes to the, to the Jewish church in, in um, Galatia in chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's not saying like today we're adopting this new gender. I don't know what it's actually called. That's not what God is saying at all. What he's saying is nobody's better than the other. The Jew is not better than the Gentile. The slave is not better than the free man. The male is not better than the female because once you become saved through Jesus, the Messiah, you are all one in one body because we are all one bride. You see, James didn't believe that. And neither did the Puritan church. We go back to this poor woman, Catherine. Her father's the king of Spain, big Catholic nation. And on September 10th, 1513, Henry had left to visit French court. And he left Catherine in charge as governor over all of England and England's military. Well, during this time, because a woman was now sitting on the throne, James IV, who was the King of Scotland, decided he was going to invade England. Catherine's forces met them at a place called Flodden, which is in Northumberland. So if you ever saw, um, it was a bloodbath. The English forces completely and utterly routed King James to the point where James was actually killed in the battle. This is, again, now this is important. So here you have the Scottish Catholic king was killed by Catherine's forces. And at that time, there was a young infant girl called Mary Stuart that we know of the Queen of Scots. Now, Mary was the daughter of James IV, the King of Scotland, and Mary de Guy, who was of nobility from France. And on the day that King James IV of Scotland was killed, Mary, Queen of Scots, became the sitting queen over all of Scotland. What does that have to do with King James? Mary, Queen of Scots, is the mother of King James, the one who writes the Bible, named after her father. Now, Henry, of course, when he received news in France of this victory, was mocked. He was mocked because, oh, you don't even need to do anything. You're here trying to make peace with us, and your wife is out there killing kings. She's killing armies. What are you? At that moment, he had decided, this woman can't give me an heir. Now she could be a threat because she led my forces and defeated the Scotland king and killed him, which sent Scotland into utter chaos. Because now, later on, when Henry decides I'm getting rid of Catherine and he becomes Protestant, not only did it seep, seep down into the, um, the French nobility, it also began to take hold in Scotland. So now all of these Catholic nations, 
the was they were the 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 Vatican was losing a foothold. You know, I, I don't know exactly what to call it. Some people call it a generational curse. Some people call it a generational sin. Torah is clear about what happens about if you worship another god, then God is going to visit that upon your second, third, fourth, fifth generation until somebody repents. Um, and I'm not going to get into the debate of is it a curse or is it a sin, but the bottom line is this. We're all genetically predisposed to certain behaviors, especially in we're in certain environments. We're talking about a man in King James who writes the King James Bible, whose great-grandfather hated women, hated Catholicism, and was an angry, very bitter, very wicked, very evil man. I'm going to end just quickly, but I want you to understand in its fullest, and I want you to think when Solomon says nothing is new under the sun, that history is going to repeat itself over and over again unless we repent, unless somebody understands that the pattern has to be broken. If the pattern is not broken, then it's going to continue. And this whole entire backstory is to tell you the effect that all of this had on King James and the decisions he made when it came time for his version of the Bible. Now, the known children of Henry VIII of England by Catherine of Aragorn, an unnamed daughter born in 1510, stillborn. His first son, Henry, the Duke of Cornwall, died at two months. An unnamed son was born in 1513 that died shortly after birth. Another unnamed son that died in 1514 died shortly after birth. Then we have Queen Mary I, who was born in 1516 and eventually became the biggest persecutor of the Catholic Church. And then another unnamed daughter born November 10th, 1518, that died shortly after birth. That was just from Catherine of Aragon. Then he had a mistress. Her name was Elizabeth Blunt. She bore him Henry Fitzroy, the first Duke of Richmond. And he was only about 17 years old when he died. And then he married Anne Boleyn. Now, Anne Boleyn was beheaded in 1536. However, understand why Anne Boleyn was so important. She gave birth to Queen Elizabeth I. Queen Elizabeth eventually becomes Queen of England. And it is that Queen Elizabeth, which we call the Virgin Queen of England, that has Mary, Queen of Scots, put to death. Mary, Queen of Scots, was King James's mother. So, but that was the only living child that Anne Boleyn was able to give him because then three unnamed sons were born between 1534 and 1536 and all of them miscarried. Then he married Jane Seymour and she had one son who died at age 15. And it just goes on and it goes on and it goes on. No heirs. Pastor Billy will continue his message in just a moment. If you would like more information about sermon series, books, and other study materials, you can call us at 
314-1956. Or you can email us at elanrestoration at gmail.com. You can visit us on Facebook for Shabbat and service times. And now we conclude today's message with Rabbi Billy. We're just laying a foundation. We have to understand why James did what he did. And I know I'm sounding redundant, but we have to get that point across. Because when we get to there and we get to the, the Council of Hampton Court, you're going to see exactly why certain things were done in that translation, which is why we've had to correct them now, having the original manuscripts that existed well before, obviously, well before James wrote his work. So, um, as always, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom, peace, and the precious name of Jesus, our glorious Messiah, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Billy Elias. Pastor Billy is the founder and pastor of Elon Restoration Fellowship in Toms River, New Jersey. Join us again as Pastor Billy bridges the gap between the Old and New Covenants. And as always, may the Lord bless you with peace. Yeah,